And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gents. This is a broadcast and over from Orlando, Florida, on this awesome and international podcast, Good Wine and Great Flaps, Season 7, Episode 15. And today's topic is the top 10 racist cities in America. You will know shortly the type of wine I am drinking, so ladies and gents, Let's get this party started. Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is Boy Casanova from Orlando, Florida, on this awesome international podcast, Good Wine and Great Laughs, Season 7, Episode 15. And the topic of the day, again, is the top 10 racist cities in America. And today is Saturday, November 11th, 2023, and the weather here in Orlando will be partly cloudy with a slight Chance of rain showers later during the day. Highs of 87. Hallelujah. Glory and mercy. And lowers of 7 degrees, ladies and gents. I know summer is over. We are in the fall season, but good grief. This heat still keeps coming. I'm not hating on the hot season, hot weather, but... I'm ready since in the fall. I am ready for that chill weather. Nice and cool weather here in Orlando. But the, the heat is, is holding on tight. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. All right, ladies and gents, before I jump right on to this topic, I have to talk about the wine of the day here at Casa Casanova. And ladies and gents, today we are going to Italy. I found this nice. I was looking for now, like always, once a week. I go to the wine stores to do my my walk around to see what they, they have to have a wine of the day that I never had it and bring some excitement as far as wine is concerned for this podcast. And I found this wine called Tosca Orvieto Classico. Once again, this wine is from Italy. It's a vintage of 2021. And according to the label in the back, it says the Orvieto, Orvieto Classico wine is named after one of the Umbria's most beautiful cities located on a hilltop between Florence and Rome, known for its magnificent dome. This versatile and refreshing wine has a delicate and persistent bouquet and the typical almond taste to the finish. It is great served chill, its own or as a match to seafood salad, risotto, and grilled poultry dishes. Alcohol percentage of this wine, ladies and gentlemen, is 12% alcohol for volume. And according to the label, he also says a disclaimer saying that this wine contains sulfites. So let's see what this wine is all about. Ooh.
All right. Beautiful. Nice color. I mean, the color is almost like a pinot grigio. The bouquet is beautiful, wonderful. Ladies and this is a very, very good white wine. I definitely would recommend it for you. If you love white wine, you definitely gonna like the Tosca Orvieto Classico. <clears throat> And once again, like I say all the time, you're going to see the picture of this wine on all my social media, such as Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, under the season seven, episode 15 is available for you, ladies and gents, for you to check it out. Also, my YouTube channel, you're going to see the image at the bottom, but like once again, if you want to see the picture and if you like to try yourself. I have the picture available for you so you can take to your favorite wine store and get this wine. Once again, I give a 9 for this one. Here is a very, very good, good white wine. I definitely highly recommend this white wine, ladies and gents. So, let's jump right on what today's topic is all about. Alright, ladies and gents, doing my search for what I want to bring it to this podcast, and I found this video from Travel Triple Zero. Talk about the ten, the top ten racist city in America. So I think I think it's a very interesting topic, especially if you like to travel, and if you are a member of the minority, be aware to not go through any of those cities so <laughs> for your own sake don't you do it so let me pause here the background music and let's jump right on this video right here just give me one second all right here we go did you know that on average, black men in the US receive sentences that are 19.1% longer than those of white men convicted for the same crimes? Additionally, 15.8% of black students reported experiencing race-based bullying or harassment. On the contrary, African-American-owned businesses are the fastest growing segment of the women-owned business market. They are starting up at a rate six times higher than the national average. With all of the strides we've made, the nation still grapples with its legacy of racism. It's hard to quantify the most racist towns in America, and this list may shock, offend, baffle, and create a feeling of discomfort. For others, this list isn't long enough. It's important to remember that not everyone in these towns are racist, and in fact, there are movers and shakers across the nation fighting for racial justice. Compiling this list is difficult, because of course big cities will have higher instances of hate crimes, but that could also be explained by its greater welcoming of diversity. Therefore, this list will be a compilation of anecdotal evidence, statistical information, and how a town's history with race impacts it today. If your town is on this list, maybe it's time for you to be the change that is needed. After all, when we know better, we do better. Stay tuned to the end for some unexpected trivia about the names of places that you probably never thought about. 
Without further ado, here are America's most racist towns in no particular order. Number one is Harrison, Arkansas. Harrison sits in Boone County in northern Arkansas, just on the border of Missouri. The town has been dubbed the most racist town in America, and that legacy goes deep, both historically and contemporarily. A viral video made by Bob Bliss did little favors for the town. He made a video called Holding a Black Lives Matter sign in America's Most Racist Town. What followed was three days of abuse, racial slurs, ironic since Bliss is white, and even direct death threats. While many residents have been challenging this reputation, it's an uphill battle when your town serves as the headquarters and mailing address for the Ku Klux Klan. The town's history is no better. Arkansas, a former slave state, gained notoriety with the Harrison race riots of 1905 and 1909, where the town violently removed all but one black man, creating an all-white community. The town has been working to rid itself of its legacy, and since 2003 has had a community task force on race relations to combat racism. The task force has been successful in removing offensive billboards and a petition to remove one particular billboard received over 8,000 signatures. Hopefully, Harrison is on the road to equality. Number two takes us to the far north of Anchorage, Alaska. Black Americans aren't the only victims of racism, and this city has almost an invisible form of prejudice against native Alaskans. Though Alaska natives make up only 16% of the population, they make up 29% of all homicide victims, with Anchorage leading the violent crime statistics. Black Americans living in Alaska make up only 4% of the population, but they make up 10% of all homicide victims. Anchorage has a crisis of violence against Alaska native women, with less resources being put towards solving these crimes. The murder of Brandon Erlmeyer, whose Tlingit name means Old Man Raven, highlights this disparity. His murder was nearly six years ago, and no arrests have been made as of 2023. His memorial site has been vandalized by bullets and fire. His case has reignited the epidemic of crimes against Alaska natives, many of which go unsolved. In the Anchorage School District, black students receive failing grades at twice that of white students, while native Alaskans receive failing grades at three times that of their white counterparts. This doesn't mean teachers are deliberately failing students of color, but it does highlight achievement gaps, access to technology, as well as instructional inequities. Many native Alaskan children are classified as ELL, or English language learners, given that English is not their primary language at home. This is a result of colonization, creating a disadvantage for native Alaskan children being thrust into an English world. Alaska only became a state in 1959, so it's no surprise that many people still speak their native languages at home. A bright side for Anchorage is that it is the fastest growing city in terms of racial and ethnic diversity in the U.S. Number three is a strange one. Leith, North Dakota, an otherwise small town in the middle of nowhere with only 29 residents, gained notoriety in 2012 when white nationalist Craig Cobb moved into Leith and bought up 12 plots of land. This Aryan-centric takeover was highlighted in the PBS documentary Welcome to Leith. Cobb encouraged his followers to move to Leith, and in 2018, they successfully had two of their white nationalists voted onto the city council. This was devastating to Leith residents who held protests, even going so far as to petitioning Grant County to dissolve Leith as a city in order to remove the white supremacists from office. 
It was never dissolved, and today Leith still exists, but Craig Cobb has sold off his land and left. The lone black resident, Bobby Harper, said his life was overturned and fraught with turmoil since the arrival of Craig Cobb and his white supremacist followers. The people of Leith fought hard to reclaim their town, and it's sad that the name of Leith is now tethered to hate, when none of its original residents, including Mr. Harper, felt like their town was ever racist before. Cobb and one of his followers were charged with seven felony counts of terrorizing town residents. Though the town successfully rid itself of Cobb and his plot to take over the town, it is marred in the minds of the nation and immortalized in a documentary. On the upside, this showed how one tiny town, with less residents than an apartment building, was able to stand up for what's right and win back their town from the grips of racism and hate. Clutch your pearls, California, because you are number four on this list. That's right, racism is not limited to the American South or rural towns with predominantly white populations. With racism, race riots, and sundown towns riddled throughout Los Angeles, that city escapes this list by virtue of its population being large enough to outwit any statistics. The same cannot be said for California's fifth largest city, Fresno. Fresno is a tale of two cities. The western half of Fresno is two-thirds Latino and one-fifth black. Just by driving through, it is evident that the city is neglected, and this is not because of its residents. The city itself has neglected it with pothole-ridden roads, overflowing landfills, and schools unable to meet the needs of its children. One Fresno resident recalls being called racial slurs by her white teachers, who made it clear that West Fresno was not their choice place to be. More than half of West Fresno lives below the poverty line compared to only 27% of the rest of the city. A simple internet search will reveal a city fraught with racial violence, accusations of racism among the school boards, and government neglect in its neighborhoods, predominantly comprised of people of color. The residential segregation is no accident either. It was by design. Though outlawed for over 50 years, redlining was a legal process in which people of color were denied mortgages for housing and deeds were restricted for whites only in certain white neighborhoods. The legacy of this process existed informally long after the laws were changed, and that leaves us with two very different Fresnos. The city's residents are making strides by acknowledging those systemic policies of the past that still present themselves today. Number 5 is Vidor, Texas, a small town in the southeastern corner of the state just east of Houston. Vidor was one of hundreds of communities in America known as a sundown town. This was a place where black Americans were not allowed after dark. In some of these towns, there were posted signs saying things like, whites only after dark. Mayors of Vidor have tried to change its reputation, but to this day, many black Americans won't even stop for gas in Vidor. According to the 2020 census, Vidor has a population of around 8,600, with only 39 residents identifying as black. The first black resident moved into Vidor in 1993 amidst Ku Klux Klan-led protests. This came as a push to desegregate the town. Despite his pleas for more black residents to join him, only five other black Americans were willing to move. Little has changed since. In 2020, in the wake of the death of George Floyd, a Black Lives Matter march was set to take place in Vidor. The march forced the town to reckon with its reputation, and although the march was considered a victory by most for even taking place, the march was met with backlash from many of the town residents, as well as counter-protesters. 
Residents of Vidor have been vocal on social media trying to debunk the notion that it is a racist place, but even many of those posts have racist undertones. Vidor has work to do, but the fact that many residents joined the Black Lives Matter march gives hope that there is change on the horizon. Sorry to say that we are staying in the South for the next one. Number six is Rochelle, Georgia, but more realistically, the entire county of Wilcox. But before residents get offended, your town's youth have actually brought this issue to light and forced the town to grapple with its legacy of the past. Wilcox County sits smack dab in the middle of the state. It's a place where tradition is revered. There's a church on every corner, Confederate flags wave proudly, and up until 2014, the schools still held segregated proms. That's right, until the year 2014, many rural Georgia schools still held segregated proms. How can a public school get away with this? Simple, they didn't do it. During desegregation, many schools stopped hosting proms to avoid having integrated dances. Parents and students hosted their own proms, one for white students and one for black students. In a county that's 35% black, this is hard to imagine that despite all our efforts to combat racism, Georgia was still holding segregated proms. Despite this, it was the students of Wilcox County High School in Rochelle, Georgia, that decided enough was enough. Four students, two black and two white, created a Facebook page in 2014 to petition the school to host an official prom, an integrated prom. While these students shed light on a racist part of the country that many enlightened Americans pretend don't exist, this also stoked the fire of change. Wilcox has a long way to go, but its youth have paved the way for social change. Number seven is another clutch your pearls moment. Crown Heights, Brooklyn, a neighborhood within New York City, makes this list. While New York City as a whole is often considered a bastion of racial progress and enlightenment, hate crimes are on the rise, up 76% in New York City to be Damn. exact. This could be attributed to new task forces encouraging people to report hate crimes, but the result is nonetheless bad news for big cities that like to pride themselves on being less racist than others. Having a bigger population or more diversity should not be an excuse for having more hate crimes. If these cities were as progressive as they tout, then there shouldn't be so many hate crimes. Crown Heights has historically been a refuge for Hasidic Jews fleeing Europe. The neighborhood was put on the map after race riots in 1991 between black and Jewish residents, which was immortalized in Anna Devere Smith's play Fires in the Mirror, which was performed all over the world and solidified in a filmed version on PBS. Jewish Americans have found themselves in a racial gray zone in America. Historically, they have not been afforded the privilege of whiteness, but in the modern context of white privilege, they are often lumped in. They were not white when their lives literally depended on it, but they are now white and often ignored when they are the victims of anti-Semitism. The Jewish population in Crown Heights was disproportionately affected by the COVID pandemic. Accusations that media and local officials in Crown Heights cover up anti-Semitism runs rampant, and there are many articles of news media tripping over itself trying to explain why anti-Semitism in Crown Heights isn't really anti-Semitism. Number eight is Milwaukee. Wisconsin is regularly voted one of the best states to live in with its low crime, great access to healthcare, and a quality school system. But as the nation confronts racism head-on more and more, cities like Milwaukee have to ask itself, are all of those good qualities really benefiting all people? Those great schools in Milwaukee suspend black students for similar offenses as white students 
at more than twice the rate of the national average, more than any other state in America. When polled, many Americans think of Wisconsin in general as being a very white state, when actually black Americans make up 40% of Milwaukee, and yet its schools also have the highest achievement gap in the country. It isn't just the schools that show racial disparities. Wisconsin also incarcerates the most black men in the country, and in Milwaukee County, more than half of all black men in their 30s and 40s have been to jail or prison. Thanks to historical policies that have now been outlawed, Milwaukee is also one of the most segregated cities. The city, in its typical polite Midwest fashion, has tried to combat this with groups like Rid Racism Milwaukee. The group, comprised of individuals and corporations across the city, cites in its vision for Greater Milwaukee to be a model of racial equality, justice, and harmony. Number 9 is a literal paradise, but is it really a paradise for all residents and visitors? Honolulu, you are now under the spotlight. The very nature of how Hawaii became part of the United States is reflected in the modern-day hate crimes that plague the city. Hawaii was first settled by Polynesians around 400 CE. They lived in small fishing villages until 1778, when James Cook, the first European, landed on the islands. Between 1791 and 1810, King Kamehameha united the entire archipelago into one kingdom, but by 1820, Christian missionaries and American businessmen brought disease and conquest. When Cook first arrived, there were 300,000 native Hawaiians. By 1853, the native population was down to 70,000. In 1893, thanks to the money that could be made from its sugar plantations, the U.S. annexed Hawaii and overthrew the kingdom. The last Hawaiian ruler, Queen Liliuokalani, was deposed, imprisoned, and forced to abdicate. By 1959, Hawaii became a state. The lasting effects have left a trail of racism in its wake, landing Honolulu on this list. In Honolulu, on the island of Oahu, this disparity is seen in lack of affordable housing, with native Hawaiians representing only 10% of Oahu's population, but make up 51% of those who are unhoused on the island. Like in Alaska, there is almost an invisible racist element to Honolulu. Western tourism, predominantly from the mainland, has driven up costs on Oahu so high that native Hawaiians, who have lived on the island for over 1400 years, now find themselves overrepresenting the homeless population. Most people don't realize that their vacations to paradise are contributing to an underbelly of racism. There are many ways to be a responsible tourist to Honolulu, with one main thing being to frequent local establishments. Forego a chain hotel on Waikiki Beach and instead find a local vacation home owned by a native Hawaiian. Contribute to the local economy by doing research in advance and spending money on native shops, restaurants, and cultural centers. Number 10 is a town that would be hard to overlook. Pulaski, Tennessee is the birthplace of the Ku Klux Klan. Literally, its birthplace. On December 24th, 1865, in the wake of the Civil War, the South's defeat, and the era of Reconstruction, six former Confederate officers founded the Klan. What started out as a small vigilante group that would ride around at night in hoods became an invisible empire that would terrorize, burn, and kill recently freed black people, abolitionists, and sympathetic whites. A plaque dedicated to the birth of the Klan still hangs in the old Pulaski courtroom, despite its obviously hateful intentions. Today, many Pulaski residents say they support the plaque as it represents chivalry in the face of the Union and not a representation of racism. 
It's a what? sentiment that does not sit right with many black Americans that may find themselves in Pulaski. Other Pulaski locals are doing their best to fight the reputation through social action and even art. Local artist Bernice Davidson founded the Unsung Heroes Project and has created murals honoring the heroes of Pulaski, including a painting for the Trail of Tears Museum that teaches about the Indian Removal Act, which forced Native Americans off their land in a death march to Oklahoma. Some work that could still be done is renaming some of America's towns and sites. According to the U.S. Board of Geographic Names, there are 799 sites named Squaw, an offensive term for Native Americans, 621 sites that still have the word Negro in its name, 29 places with the word Chinaman, 82 with the name Redman, and many more. There are also 12 counties either named Jeff Davis or Lee after the Confederate president and Southern Civil War general. Imagine being a Jewish person having to attend Hitler High School. Well, thousands of black American students must attend schools named after prominent Confederate leaders and slaveholders. We have a long way to go still, but we should also acknowledge how far we've come. All right, ladies and gents, as you heard, the 10 top racist, the top 10 racist city in, in America. And I was listening to it and was making some notes over here so I can give you my two cents. The one thing that caught my attention is even though this video is claiming you now and giving though the those cities the title of the city as a racist city, I also was happy that some citizens you now that live in that city is stood for what's right to combat racism in their own cities. That's a good thing. Now they have a couple cities right there. You know, another thing that uh, happened in Hawaii, right there in Honolulu, and also Anchorage, that the racist against their local people. And that's one thing that's just like it blows my mind. So, and that's the problem of colonization. You're gonna come, you're going to steal the land, you're going to take everything from the people they were there for centuries. And then you have the audacity that be racism against the people that, that were original from that land. You know what I'm saying? This is completely crazy, man. It doesn't make any sense. And then, one thing that I talk about all the time, if you listen to this podcast, you heard me saying this many times, and I still say, as long as I leave. That's politics is important because when they talk about Fresno, they also make the the the, the person from Travel Trip uh, Triple Zero say the Fresno suffer of government neglect. So, for those that still believe there is no power on your votes, Fresno West, the part of the, the racist part of Fresno, as a, a typical example of. How important it is for everybody that wants to do something. Now, your contribution to make your place better for everybody is to vote and pay attention on the agenda of the candidates and what they stand for. Now, if you stand for the okie dokie and for the BS and to racism, of course, you're going to vote with the mega people. 
that has no intent or no interest in govern for the benefit of all citizens. Now, if you want to do something to put people in position of leadership and political power to make your local, your state, and the country a better place to live for all Americans, all citizens in this country, you, like I say, you need to do your homework and pay attention and vote for those that has your interests in their heart to do the right thing. So, ladies and gents, and definitely there's some place that was listed here that I don't go, and I believe there are more other places that they could be listed over there. They unfortunately, you know, is still racist, in, you know, in this country. Georgia, I'm sorry to have some report about Georgia. And, and just a quick story. Back in the day, back in the early 2000s, I know somebody that is... I met somebody from Mississippi, and then this person asked me, oh, let's take a, a, a road trip to Mississippi. And I said, you must be out of your mind. Do you think that I'm going to drive all the way to Mississippi, and God forbid, our car breaks down in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi. And here are two black people in the middle of nowhere ask for help. Do you think I, you're crazy? <laughs> I'm going to catch a flight and I see you in the airport. You know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's the reason I brought this to your attention, ladies and gents. And then, and like I said, I was happy that's not all people that, that the city has been tired of being racist, but some cities are not quiet and do not like the title. And they do something to combat racism. In the town, and that's beautiful. That's completely beautiful. You know what I'm saying? It's 2023, ladies and gents. You know, it's time, it's way past time that this country has the vision of we are on this together. Life is the journey, and regardless of your background, your religious beliefs, your sexual orientation, everybody wants to leave. A peaceful, quiet, enjoyable life. Because you just have one life, ladies and gents. And I say this many times, I'm going to say that one more time. You are born, you live, and you will die. So your journey right here is about which legacy you're going to leave. Because the only thing that's going to stay behind once you pass away is going to be your name. And what's your legacy behind your name? What was your contribution to make this place a better place, not for you, but also for your future generations, your children, your your grandchildren, and for the and the future generations that come after you gone. What's your contribution, ladies and gentlemen? What kind of human being you were before you left this earth? Because at the end of the day, I said again, we are all going to be accountable. For mighty power on the afterlife. You believe it or not, that's your prerogative. That's on you. I'm just saying what now my true sense of what about I believe. That's why I treat everybody with respect and dignity. Regardless, because one thing that's 
about life. If your life is precious, if you believe that life is precious, and you focus on combat just abortion, but you don't give a damn about the per the person on down the street, like that homeless person. You know, you you being rude to everybody that you meet, you being disrespectful. You don't care about another not a human being. Your philosophy of life is pressure is some bullshit. Period. And then I just go back a little bit of politics, but I do not watch the the Democrat, the the Democrat, the Republican uh, debate that was happening. But I saw some clips on TikTok. Hey, I'm not a fan of Chris Christie, but give uh, no give him uh, kudos to who deserve that he brought to do this, this last debate. They talk about some people believe about life is pressure, but they are not pressured to the whole entire life. You know, it's just like I say, they are too focused on uh, 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 erase abortion in this country. But like I say, they don't give a damn about the rest of life. It's just like, oh, they've got to protect the baby before it's born. When the baby's born, excuse my language, fuck the baby. You know what I mean? Especially if you're a minority. Or if especially if you're poor white. Because there's a whole lot of poor white people right there that's struggling. That is trying to get in the wagon of the wealthy, rich, racist people that think they're going to care about you. They don't give a damn about you. They care about their money. They care about their power. So, ladies and gents. So... That's why I always say at the end, be kind, be blessed, and be safe out there because you need to change our mentality on how we treat each other. You know, I'm not saying that I gotta hold your hand and sing Kumbaya because that's the view of life. Everybody has their own life experience. Everybody has their own opinion on everything in life. And it's fine. You can't agree to disagree, but... I don't have to be disrespectful. I don't have to be a bully to you just because you don't fit my narrative. You don't fit my way of life. Because at the end of the day, you know, I, I don't care. As long as your way of life is not hurt me or hurt somebody else, you live the way you live. That's your life. That's how you want to live. It's up to you. But like I said, how you live, there's consequences you know, what you're going to reap, what you sow. And karma is a bitch. You know what I'm saying, ladies? I say this all the time. Karma is a bitch. So, these are my two cents about today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. And on that note, ladies and gents, I'd like to thank everybody that listened to this awesome and international podcast. Please keep it share with all your friends and family. Good one and great last podcast has come all the way from the bottom and move straight to the top, aiming to be the number one spot. Please feel free to visit my YouTube channel, leave your comments, subscribe, and click on all the like buttons once you watch my videos. I appreciate your support. Once again, this is a boycott. Sign over. Please be safe, be kind, and be blessed. And do the best what you can do with what you got. And I'll see you next Saturday. Holla! Like a push I want the plot Holding my girl, suck up